I invite you to take your seats if you're up and standing around. Uh, it is good to see you this morning, New Life East. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a joy to have you in our house. Uh, we would love the chance to meet you if this is your first time. So do be sure to see us after the service uh, in Connect Central. We have a little uh, area out there uh, where Will, some of our pastors, will be out there. Or you can just come up and talk to me after the service. I would love to uh, get a chance to introduce myself to you and hear a little bit about your story. We also do have Fellowship Hour, which happens after the first service. So donuts and coffee, great little opportunity to hang out. But it's good uh, to have you with us this morning. It's good to see all of you. The kids this morning are wearing all of their Christmas sweaters. So that's a thing that they're doing in the back and y'all look so great. I've got uh, a Christmas sweater that has a sloth on it. And uh, I thought about wearing it, but I just felt like I wanted you to take me seriously. And so I left that uh, at home. One thing I do need to say to you this morning uh, before we get started is we have Christmas Eve services coming up. Can you guess when they are? December 24th. That's right. You've got it. Last year we had services at four and six o'clock. This year we're switching it up a little bit and we're doing two o'clock and four o'clock. So I'm saying that to you to say, I don't care which service you come to. I think they're both going to be pretty full. This is a time of year where people start coming back to church, coming around and worshiping. So please do bring your friends and your family. Let's pack the house out. The reason I'm saying this to you though, is that we're going to be hosting uh, a lot of folks on Christmas Eve. And so our two o'clock service, children's ministry, we're only doing children's ministry for zero to five years old. And at two o'clock, we've got everybody we need for children's ministry. At four o'clock, we have almost nobody and we need people. And so if you are serve approved with us, please, 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 please let me encourage you to volunteer for the four o'clock service. You might just consider coming with your family to two and then volunteering at the four o'clock service. It'll help us out. It's all about creating a space where people can encounter the goodness of God and the beauty of holiness in here. So please consider volunteering uh, with us for that. This is, uh, like Kaylin said, it's the second Sunday of Advent. And I love the season of Advent. I think Advent touches so many of the uh, deep uh, urges and desires of our hearts. It hits so many of the great themes of our faith. And Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming, or better yet, it might actually mean arrival. And so what we're looking towards in Advent is the arrival of God in our lives. And as I said last week, God, the creed, which the Nicene Creed, which we say most Sundays around here, which is kind of a summary statement of the biblical story and the Christian faith. One of the things that you see in the creed is that the creed assumes that the world that you and I live in is open to God. And so it talks about Jesus Christ. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from lights, so on and so forth. And then it says that he came down. Right? For us and for our salvation, he came down. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary became truly human. So there was this coming, this like incursion of God into the world. And then, of course, after he ascends into heaven, the scripture says that he'll return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So Advent asked the question, is our world open to God? And the answer is yes. A world is very open to God. A word that I like to use to think about the relationship between our world and God is that our world is porous. That means that God can get in. The presence of God leaks in. God shows up in our experience. Now, it's really easy to, uh, for us to think, though, that, okay, we have the first coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago. 
And then we have the second coming of Jesus at the very end of history. And in between, it's a lot of just sort of us white knuckling it and holding our breath and just kind of holding on until Jesus comes. But that's not the perspective of scripture. The 12th century Cistercian monk Bernard of Clairvaux put it this way. He said that we know that there are actually three comings of the Lord. In his first coming, our Lord came in flesh and in weakness. And in the final coming, he will be seen in glory and majesty. But in this middle coming, everybody say the middle coming, he comes in spirit and in power. And so we're not just kind of grimly holding on here until the end of all things, but we're trusting that the Lord Jesus will break in among us in spirit and in power to do the things that only he can do. The question is, what are those things that only he can do? With that, one of the great messianic texts of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 11, I'll invite you to turn there in your Bibles or get there in your phones or just listen to it. Here's the word of the Lord. The scripture says that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. We're talking about Jesus here. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he won't judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge who? It's not rhetorical church, but with righteousness, he will judge who? The needy, and with justice, he will give decisions for who? The poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked, and righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist. And the wolf, okay, creature of prey, will live with who? The lamb and the leopard, another creature of prey, will lie down with what? The goat and the calf and the lion and the little yearling together. And listen to this, a little child will lead them all. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand right into the viper's nest without fear. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. Brothers and sisters, How extensively do the waters cover the sea? They just are the sea. And at some point in our future, wherever Jesus shows up, we're promised that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, let's pray. And so you do come among us in spirit and power. Jesus, your promise to us is that wherever two or three were gathered together in your name, that you would be there right in the midst of them. We are trusting that that promise is true. And we sense it already this morning. There's such a sweetness of spirit in this house this morning. And so I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that you would do what only you can do. I'm praying that you would walk these aisles. I'm praying that you would surround our hearts. I'm praying that you would find a way into the inner recesses of our minds and that you would open us up to the reality of God, that you would show us your face, teach us your name, that you'd show us your activity. We pray, help us. We need you. Come among us, we pray. And may the words of the preacher's mouth 
and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Isaiah's vision of the coming of the Messiah is a vision in which all of those forces in our world that are most predatory are pacified. (laughs) And so this shoot comes up from the stump of Jesse and the text says that with righteousness he will judge the needy and with justice he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth and the wolf and the lamb and the leopard and the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child like all of the things that cause us fear, all of the things that make us feel vulnerable and afraid, all of those things that push us to the side or diminish our lives. The scripture says that when the Messiah comes and does his thing, that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea and they will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. All of the things that were predatory in our world will one day go away at the coming of the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. Our God is the God who takes the side of the vulnerable and the needy and the poor and the oppressed and the overlooked. And he's always been this God. He didn't just start being this God with Jesus, but he's always been just this God. One of my favorite stories from the Old Testament that I think illustrates this well comes from the book of Genesis chapter 16. And you might remember the story. God has given a promise to Abraham and to his wife, Sarah, that one day they will bear a child and that child will be the bearer of the promise and they will build, like they'll have a huge family and the blessing of God will come into the world through just this family. And Abraham, of course, is an old man and Sarah, you might remember, she can't have kids. And they, by the time Genesis 16 rolls around, they've been living with this promise for a long time and they start getting a little bit antsy. And so Sarah looks at Abraham and she says, look, you're not getting any younger. I've been barren for a long time. God gave us this promise, but maybe we can make the promises happen. So how about my Egyptian slave, Hagar, over here? Why don't you sleep with her and the Lord will build a family through her? Yeah, this is going to go real good, isn't it? And so Abraham does. Abraham sleeps with Hagar and Hagar conceives And she's got a child. And of course, now there's trouble in Abraham's house. And Sarah begins to get jealous. And she starts saying to Abraham, get rid of this slave woman and that son that's in her womb. Like, I don't, they're not going to share in the blessing with us. And so Abraham submits to that and goes, okay, and sends Hagar and the boy away. And we pick up the narrative here in verse 6. Of chapter 16, your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarah mistreated, everybody say mistreated. Sarah mistreated Hagar and so she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was the spring that's beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where are you going? And where are you coming from? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Verse 13, and Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that's why the well is called Be'er Lahai Roi. It means well of the living one who sees me. And it's still there between Kadesh and Bered. Here is Hagar, the slave woman, getting ready to be sent away. And she's mistreated and she's got this boy. And God meets 
mistreated Hagar in the wilderness and says, you can go back to that place. I'm protecting you. I'm covering you. I'm giving you your own special promises. And she looks at him and she names him. You're the God who sees me. You saw my plight. You saw the hurt of my heart. You saw my exclusion. You saw the way in which I've mistreated. And you, oh God, have taken up my cause. And God never stops taking up Hagar's cause. Even though she and her child are not the bearers of the promise, still God looks upon them with favor. Finally, by the time Isaac is born, the child that's born to Abraham and Sarah, in Genesis chapter 21, now things have gotten really bad in Abraham's household. And now Hagar and Ishmael, her boy, are being sent away for good. And we pick up the text here in Genesis 21 and verse 14. Early in the morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he set them on her shoulders and sent them off with the boy. And she went on her way and she wandered to the desert of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes and she went off. She sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying as well. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by, the great, uh, by his hand for I will make him into a great nation also. And God opened her eyes and she saw there a well of water. And so she went and she filled the skin with water and she gave the boy a drink. And God was what? Hey, what is Jesus called in the New Testament? He's called Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And the scripture says that God was what? With this boy. Who was that that was with this boy? Jesus, our Emmanuel, somehow was with the boy and his mom as they were being excluded and pushed to the side. God was with the boy as he grew up and he lived in the desert and became an archer. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. The God who takes up the cause of the vulnerable. The God who takes up the cause of the oppressed. The God who takes up the cause of those who have been marginalized and excluded and abused and bullied. God says, you belong to me. Your cause is my cause. Your plight is my plight. I'm making that my own. And wherever human beings have pushed you to the side, I'm bringing you close. And this comes, by the way, to definitive fulfillment in Jesus, who is the one that Isaiah chapter 11 spoke about. Think about all of the examples from the Gospels of this. Think about John chapter 4. Jesus is sitting there with the Samaritan woman. She's a woman, and so in so many ways, she's excluded from the presence of God. And she's a Samaritan a dreaded half-breed in Israel. And Jesus has this conversation with her by Jacob's well. And she keeps, if you remember the narrative, she keeps coming up with all of these reasons why she shouldn't be able to get near to God. And what does Jesus say to her? If you want, you can drink living water right now. Like all of the things that make you feel excluded. Oh, but master, you Jews say the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem, but we can't do that. We have this other mountain that we worship on and I'm excluded. And he goes, I'm bringing God to you right now. I know that you feel like you're an outsider, but you're never an outsider with me. You know, the book of Hebrews says about Jesus, that in him, we have come to the church of the firstborn of those whose names are written in heaven. Do you know what that means? That means that every single one of us is God's favored creature. 
But it doesn't matter how far you feel from the presence of God. It doesn't matter how excluded you feel. It doesn't matter how diminished other people have made you. God looks at you and says, firstborn. God looks at you and says, this one belongs to me. This one has access to the presence of God. Or think about Jesus towards the end of his ministry, blind Bartimaeus at the roadside begging. And he sees Jesus going by and this mob of people marching into Jericho. And he knows this is his chance to get healed. And so he begins to yell, Jesus, son of David, he says, have mercy on me. And they go, shut up. He didn't have time for you. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they keep trying to quell him. Be quiet. The movement is underway. God doesn't have time for you. And he keeps lifting up his voice all the louder. The scripture says, son of David, have mercy. And finally, Jesus looks to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? He gets the attention of the master. And he says, man, I just want to see. And Jesus says, according to your faith, It'll be done to you. This one who was marginalized and excluded, he caught the attention of the master. We're all capable of that, friends. Or think about in the Gospels. I love these scenes. All of the times in which the little ones were brought to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, here's my little one. Could you lay your hand upon him and bless him? And the disciples and the people around Jesus always go, oh, get out of here. Don't you understand that Jesus has bigger fish to fry than, than this? And Jesus will take the child in his arms and go, There is nobody greater in the kingdom of God than this little one right here. And in truth, unless you change and become like this little vulnerable one, you don't have any idea what the kingdom of God is about. Brothers and sisters, a shoot is coming from the stump of Jesse. And from his root, a branch will bear fruit. And he's going to give good decisions for the poor and the needy of the earth. And all of the things that cause us to be marginalized or oppressed or excluded or put down because of the good reign of our God, Jesus Christ, all of those things are being destroyed and will be destroyed because he is the God of the vulnerable. So I got a question for you this morning. Are you feeling vulnerable? Are you feeling excluded? Are you feeling pushed down? Are you feeling left behind? Are you feeling as though you're being taken advantage of? Are you being abused? Are you being bullied? God is on your side. And he's coming soon to save you. This is our God. But I think about some of the great stories that I've heard about this. I think of a story I heard some years ago about an Iranian woman. It was actually a couple woman and her husband, born in Iran, born Muslims. And all of their life, this woman had felt excluded and marginalized by her religion. And she's growing up in Iran. And at some point, they had some Christian people who were part of an underground church there in Iran, started witnessing to them, sharing the gospel with them. And so she started going, they both started going to their church and hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and who he is. And they're getting drawn into the fellowship. And at some point, that moment happened. They opened up their hearts to Jesus, let every heart prepare him room, and they did. The Spirit of God began to flood their lives and make them new. They joined the underground church there in Iran, and all of a sudden they become missionaries for Jesus. They're bringing people into the Lord. And she came in a worship service I was a part of, and she began to give testimony to what God had done in her life. And she said this, words that I will never forget. She said, you know, it's good to be Iranian, and it's good to be a woman, But it was really hard to be an Iranian woman 
as a Muslim. She said, because everything in my Muslim faith told me that I belonged on the edges. We had to be somewhere else to pray and different rules and regulations kept us at the fringes of what was going on. She said, Allah pushed me to the edges. And do you know what Jesus did? Jesus brought me to the middle. That's what he does. That he finds us on the edges, finds us on the fringes. He finds us in the place where our life is being destroyed by others. And he goes, you're my favorite one. You're the best one that I have. Look, nobody is greater in the kingdom of God than you. He brings us right into the middle of his purposes. I'm saying to you, is that you this morning? Do you feel marginalized, pushed aside, left behind, overlooked? I have a God for you. Jesus belongs to you. And he's not just the God of the overlooked, but he's also the God of the abused those that are being mistreated and taken advantage of. Everywhere in scripture, God reveals himself to be this God. Think about the Exodus. The people of God having their lives pulverized by Pharaoh and they lift up their cry to God and God reveals himself as Yahweh God in that decisive moment where your life was being ripped to pieces. I stepped in and I made things right. And here's my name, Yahweh you know me as the God of the oppressed forever and for always. Now, I think about a woman that Pastor Colin and I were walking with several years in this congregation. She'd been married for over 20 years. Her and her husband had four kids. And this man was just an awful, awful man. Verbally abusive, sometimes physically abusive, and emotionally abusive. Textbook, pathological narcissist. And she comes to us and she goes, you have no idea the amount of abuse that I've been suffering and I don't know what to do. Sitting there in my office saying to her, we don't exactly know what you should do either. You need to make sure that you're safe from this man, but God's got a way forward for you. And so we prayed with her and over the next couple years, her marriage began to not surprisingly began to implode. And I remember when it got to the point where all of a sudden there were divorce papers, she said, I'm so afraid that as we go to the courts, my husband is such a manipulator and abuser. And I'm telling you, this guy has got a way with words. He just finds a way to take situations and turns them to, turn them to his advantage. And I'm so afraid that we're going to get in front of the judge and he's going to use his words and manipulate the scenario. And I'm going to be left like I've already endured over 20 years of abuse at the hands of this man. And now I'm going to be the one paying the bill for this for the rest of my life. And justice isn't going to be done. And I remember... I remember praying with her after a first Wednesday service at New Life North, right before her big hearing, the divorce hearing. And I said to her, I said, listen, the scripture says that our God is a God of justice. That's who he is. The scripture calls him the righteous God. Do you know what that means? That God has a vested interest in our world being ordered in a right way. He has his name, his own reputation on the line. And, and I said, he's got his name and his reputation on the line with you. Our God is the God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And I said, he's going to break through for you. He's going to do it. And we prayed for her that night. And I remember getting an email from her a couple days later. She said, you will not believe it. We stood up in front of the judge and the judge gave me every single thing I asked for. And then turned to my husband and told him off for his abusive, manipulative, cowardly ways. She said, I've never seen anything like it. So is that you? Is that you? Are you being taken advantage of? Are you being bullied? 
Are you being abused? Are people exerting their power to diminish you? I am saying to you this morning that God is for you. And he is coming for you. And he has put his name on the line in the justice of your cause. And you can trust him with your stuff. So offer it up to him. And please, if you're being abused and mistreated, find somebody to talk to. Talk to somebody in this church. Talk to one of us pastors. There is something about getting other people around a scenario that has a way of breaking it loose. Think about what Jesus said. We always quote this text. Jesus says that wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, what? There I am in the midst of them. But you know why he's giving that teaching? But he's talking about binding and loosing. He said, if any two or three of you agree on earth as touching anything, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. So you got something that you're all bound up in or something that's got you trapped or a circumstance or a situation that you can't get out of? What do you do? Go get the church. And the church somehow gathering together and having eyes on that situation and bringing their agreement together. I'm telling you that it releases the glory of God into it. It breaks it. If you are in that situation, please talk to somebody. And please know that you serve a good God. That your Messiah, Jesus, is the one who's looking out for you. Psalm 72, one of the great messianic psalms of the Old Testament. The scripture says, endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. That's Jesus. And may he judge the people with righteousness and the afflicted ones with justice. And may the mountains bring prosperity to the people and the hills, the fruit of righteousness. And may he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. And how does the psalmist end? Say it loud, church. That is good news. <laughs> that all of those that are marring and defacing our world, all of those on our planet that are making human life miserable, they have the second person of the Trinity, God of very God to deal with. May he crush the, crush the oppressor, oppressor. And so Advent is good news for those that are vulnerable and excluded and mistreated. But also, I just want to say this to you this morning, that Advent is a reminder, friends, that the powerful have been put on notice. Advent is a reminder that the powerful have been put on notice. Yes, we live in a time when people are taking advantage of their power and misusing it, but those days will not last. But they have God to deal with. And so when we read these texts of the Old Testament, one of the things that we ought to be doing is not just thinking about, well, this is great news for all of those people out there, or this is bad news for those people out there, but we ought to be thinking about ourselves, the power that God has given us, the agency that God has given us, which is always an agency that God intends for us to use to bless and build up others. In the last year or so, some of you might be aware of this, Christianity Today put out a series of podcast episodes on the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church out in Seattle. And I remember that church. I remember in the early 2000s watching that church rise to prominence, one of the fastest growing churches in the United States at the time. And by the time about the 2010s roll around, that church was on its way to becoming one of the largest churches, maybe the largest church in American history. Thousands of people coming to know the Lord, hundreds of thousands, millions of people downloading resources and drawing strength from that movement. And one of the reasons that that movement collapsed, actually the central reason that that movement collapsed was because what they started uncovering 
was a culture of abuse and mistreatment of women. I mean, systemically, like throughout the whole thing. And when it all came to light seven or eight years ago, that church would have campuses all over the United States, like in an instant, like within six months, the church vanished without a trace. Why did that happen? Because it's not God's will for human life. And when human beings take the power that they have and they use it to mistreat others, I'm telling you that they have God to deal with. (laughs) And we know that at the end of all things, God will get what God wants and the judgment is coming. But remember what Bernard says, that in this third coming, before the final coming at the end of all things, he comes in the spirit and in power. And wherever and whenever power is being abused, Jesus is there to deconstruct it and to create the Isaiah situation where the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them and the infant will stick his hand in the cobra's nest and he won't have anything to fear. That's the goodwill of God for human life. And when we step against that, we have God to deal with. And when I heard that, when I listened to those podcast episodes, do you know what I thought to myself? I didn't think, oh man, stinks to be Mars Hill. You know what I thought? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my innermost thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you know what the great fear and trembling of my life is? It's that the power, the agency that God has given me that I would misuse that in a way that diminishes any human life. And what an offense that is to Almighty God. And how outrageous is it? All of the kindness that God, the powerful one, has shown me in my life to lift me up and to bless me and to help me. I would turn around and all of a sudden start diminishing other people. God help me. All of you in this room have power. All of you in this room have agency. All of you in this room, you have an ability to either lift up human life or degrade human life. And there's no middle ground in it. The question is, what are you going to do? So it's not just evil perpetrated, but I also want to say this to you. There's a prayer that we pray sometimes around here. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thoughts, word, and deed, both in what we have and in what we have left undone. That it's not just evil perpetrated that, that draws the ire of God, but it's also good withheld that draws the ire of God. What's the good that we're withholding that we need to discharge to lift up human life? Like you, I have been so troubled in my spirit the last couple of weeks since the shooting at Club Q two weekends ago. And a man walked in to an LGBTQ nightclub here in our city and opened fire, killed five people and injured a whole bunch more. And what a sad and tragic thing to have happen. And I cried and I cried about that and I've been praying about that. God, what do you want from us? What are you saying to your church? What are you saying to your people? What are you saying to your city? And one of the things, if you have been paying attention to that story, one of the things that's come out in the last couple of weeks is that folks that are part of that community, the LGBTQ community, do you know what they'll say? 
They'll say, do you know how hard it is to be part of our community in a place like Colorado Springs? But so many churches and so many organizations have made us feel excluded, have made us feel like we don't belong, has made us feel like second-class citizens. And so there are only a handful of places in this city that have felt like safe places to us. And that was one of the safe places to us. So that ought to break our hearts. Church ought to be the safest place on the planet for every sinner. You, me, and every sinner that has not yet come and found the mercy of Jesus. It ought to be the safest place. It ought to be the safest place to be wrestling with your sexuality. Oh, I'm confused about this. I don't know about this. I've got these desires. My wants are running this way, but I don't know what to do. And I don't know if this meets the stereotype or the roadmap. And, uh, the first place that people ought to think to turn is the people of God. The people of God who are compassionate and wise. The people of God who are patient. The people of God who have been in a long conversation about human sexuality for thousands of years and might know a thing or two about it. This ought to be the safest place. And so I've been holding that up before the Lord. God, God, we know what the scripture teaches. We know what our faith teaches us. But would you help us be a place where no person who's LGBTQ, whatever, ever has to say that was a place that was unsafe for me. God, help us. But it's more than just making this place safe. Do you know what it's also about? It's about going beyond our walls and making sure that they're safe wherever they are. Because Jesus doesn't just kind of hold it all in here, but Jesus is the God who comes to find us wherever we are. The call of the church in this moment, one of the great calls of the church, is to enter into life with people whose sexuality is confused and broken. And you all in this room, you are friends with people whose sexuality is confused and is broken. And they might not come and darken the doors of the church, but you know what they will do? They will let you in their life to meet them in their spaces and to go where they are and to be with them and to hear them and to listen to them and to offer compassion and the gift of presence. And I know what you're saying in your heart, but Andrew, if I do that, if I start spending more time with them, people will misunderstand me. They'll maybe come to think that I support things that I don't support. They'll maybe come to think that I'm condoning things that I don't actually condone. Oh, oh, do you mean like when they call Jesus a wine-bibber and a glutton and a friend of sinners? You mean like that? Do you understand that Jesus counted his reputation as worth nothing so that he could come and be with us? And so he didn't just call us into his space. He, come and he came to us and he made a space with us in our spaces. That's your call too. And it's more even than that. Think about Jesus in John chapter 8. They bring to him the woman caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember this? And they throw the woman down before Jesus. Master, they say. In the law, Moses commanded that we should stone a woman like this. What about you? What do you say? And they're using the question as a trap, right? To try to have a basis for accusing them. And what does the scripture say that Jesus did? He's down in the ground. He's riding in the dirt. Master, what do you say? Should we throw stones at this woman? Should we end her life just like Moses says? And he's riding in the ground. 
And he stands up and he says, if, if, if any of you here is without sin, you be the first to throw the stone at her. And one by one, they begin to walk away. And the woman stands up. Nobody is left. It's just her and Jesus. And he says to her, woman, where are those who would condemn you? Has nobody here done it? She says, nobody. They're gone. And what does he say? Go now. Leave your life of sin. And here's what I want to say to you. Maybe we don't have the right. Maybe we don't have the place to point people in the way of salvation until we have stood between them and the folks who would throw stones at them and diminish their life and say, not on my watch. It's not going to happen while I'm here. And if we're not willing to do that, then we're not willing to follow Jesus because Jesus let go of his reputation to come and find us. And we are in this room because he did that. Will you do the same, church? Can you stand this morning? Do you offer your life up to the Lord again? All that you are and all that you have, this is it. We're giving our best to Jesus. We're giving our agency. We're giving our power. We're giving our position. We're giving all that we are and all that we have to Jesus. I want you just, church, to offer it up to him, to lay it down before him. Jesus, here it is. And I'm praying, first of all, for my brothers and sisters in this room this morning who have felt overlooked, abused, pushed around, left beside, left to the side. Those that are being taken advantage of, we pray this morning. We come into agreement, actually, as a church, that you are the God of justice. Blessed are all that who wait for you. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, break the rod of the oppressor. We pray that you deliver your people and set them free to so do that this morning. But we also pray this morning that you take us and make us like you. That we're not just people who, <laughs> well, we're people who are willing to go the extra mile to make sure that the folks in our world feel safe. We're using our power in a way that reflects you. So Jesus, we give it to you this morning. And we remember before you that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples saying, take this all of you and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we're lifting up bread and cup before you this morning. You offer them to us as your body and your blood, as an encounter with the living Christ that transforms us. So we pray that that would happen. We ask that as we come to the table this morning, that bread and cup for us would become an encounter with the risen Jesus. That's your character, your life, your ways, your heart would be birthed in us. And that you'd make us again, your holy people, beloved people, eager to do what's good. Granted, we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning for communion stations up here at the front, you'll exit your row on the left and come forward and receive communion. Take it on the way back to your seats, or you can take it as a family with your friends together. But brothers and sisters, let's to the right. Do the opposite of what I said about communion, but everything else this morning was dead on. You're going to exit to the right and go back in on the left-hand side. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.